You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Lying season is upon us. But for many, they might think that as NFL front offices and coaching staffs begin to conduct their pre-draft media press conferences, that the only lies being told are in those press conferences. The scouts are instructed to lie. The GMs are going to lie. The coaches are going to lie. But no, that is not the only deceit that will occur in the coming weeks. The following phrase will be uttered numerous times over and over and over again after the NFL draft. We took the best player available. Teams annually cannot believe how fortunate they were to have all of their preferred players still on the board. It's crazy. Every year, everything works out magically for all 32 teams that selected exactly their targeted player and nobody else. They'll tell you that they took the best player available. It's complete hogwash. I wrote a piece for buffalorumblings.com And today's podcast is going to be a two-parter. The first half of the podcast, we will talk about the piece I wrote for buffalorumblings.com. I'm going to go ahead and put it in pod form because I put a ton of work into it. And it was intended to be a pod thing. And as the notes kept growing and growing and growing, I said, okay, well, I guess this will be my article too. And then we're going to take a break. And after that, we are going to do a mock draft with Joe Marino from Locked On Bills author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, and host of the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast as well. And we're going to use the lessons learned during the first half of the podcast, and we're going to reference them during the second half of the podcast. So it's all connected. That's the reason why we're doing this first, and we're doing the mock after the break. So let's dive in, shall we? This piece that I wrote for buffalorumblings.com is designed to put up bumpers on the concepts of drafting for need and drafting the best player available. Because both of them 
We're going to start from the end and then kind of jump into the middle. We're going to Tarantino this. Both of them are going to give you garbage results. Drafting straight for need and drafting only the best player available regardless of need. Both give you terrible results. But you already knew this. This is really important. I'm not trying to generate some sort of great revelation through this exercise. I'm not trying to get you to an aha moment because you already know that. Bruce, well, why are you wasting your time? If I already know that there must be a balance struck between drafting for need and drafting the best player available because I want to isolate the factors. And you can do that by taking the opposite poles and then finding which factors are missing from each extreme example. This is not an appeal to extremes fallacy. We are using the extremes to come up with the factors that are lacking through the representation of those extremes. We are literally going to draw the outline first, and then we're going to color inside the lines. I don't know if it was just me. When you were a kid and it was time to color, did you do the outside first? And then color in the middle. I did. And I'll tell you why I did. I felt like there was more freedom involved if I had the boundaries already done. I could kind of scribble a little bit harder, go a little faster, because I wasn't freaking out about the lines, because the lines were already drawn in. There was a kind of an indentation, there was an outline that had already been drawn. And so I felt more comfortable on the inside because the outside has been established. Some people perform better when they bowl with bumpers, regardless of whether or not they hit the bumpers. They just feel good to have them there. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to color inside the lines today. We're going to establish the extreme boundaries. We are going to establish the poles that we know are crazy so that we can look at those, realize the factors that they're leaving out, that they're not taking into account the way they should, and then that will have us navigate the middle a little bit easier. Teams don't take the best player available, nor do they draft specifically for need. They don't draft the biggest need with the first round pick and the second biggest need with the second round pick and the third biggest need with the third round pick. Why did I even bring that up? Because earlier this offseason... When I posted a mock draft that didn't have the Bills taking an offensive lineman with the first pick, people freaked out. They said, no, it's offensive line or nothing with the first round pick. Completely ignoring the fact that there are six other rounds in the NFL draft and hundreds of other selections. No, no. If you didn't take the biggest need in their perception with the biggest pick, it was a failure. So I'm taking that and I'm extrapolating it all the way out to its logical conclusion. And then I'm taking the idea that you draft the best player available and taking that all the way out to its extreme logical conclusion. And both of these are going to give you mock drafts that are suboptimal. Spoiler alert. But teams taking the best player they believe will give their team the best chance to improve using the capital on the table for expenditure. That's not quite as sexy of a sound as best player available. I'm not trying to draw a conclusion that you've already drawn. 
I just think by establishing the poles, we'll better be able to color inside the lines. So we are going to use the PFF mock draft simulator, and we're going to use the team needs outline from the draft network. No trades, because I want to make sure the exact same number of players are selected in the identical draft positions. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to complete a mock. And the only thing we're going to do with this mock is take the number one player on the board, regardless of position, according to the PFF board. That's it. That's all we're going to do. And here are the results. In the first round, we took Brian Breesey, defensive interior lineman from Clemson. In the second round, we took Tanner McKee, quarterback, Stanford. In the third round, we took Garrett Williams, cornerback, Syracuse. In the fourth round, we took Anthony Johnson Jr., a safety from Iowa State. In the fifth round, we took Kobe Turner, defensive interior lineman, Wake Forest. And in round six, we took Corey Trice, a corner from Purdue. It's important to note that the grading system used by Pro Football Focus absolutely loved this draft. They gave it an A. But I can't imagine many in Bill's Mafia who would be pleased overall with this draft outcome. Not only did the Bills pass on Jordan Addison, USC wide receiver, and Anton Harrison, offensive tackle Oklahoma, they selected a player who, while the best player on the board, might actually be a better fit as a 5-tech and a 3-4. So there we go. We've already established a factor right there. What about schematic fit? In the second round, the most insane pick of the draft happened because the Bills selected quarterback Tanner McKee. The idea that best player available is really what you drafted completely goes out the window because teams like the Buffalo Bills don't ever take a quarterback when the quarterback is the best player available. It's one of the number one reasons why that phrase is absolute hogwash. Listen, McKee has some defenders, and for a lot of people, he's QB5. But the Bills spending a day two pick on a player to back up Josh Allen is going to be met with some eyebrows and perhaps some disdain. They drafted an interior defensive lineman round one, but then they passed on Keanu Benton from Wisconsin and Washington State linebacker Diane Henley and edge rusher Derek Hall from Auburn. We've now identified another factor, path to playing time. So we start with best and need, and now we've added two other factors, path to playing time and schematic fit. Now, the Bills already have an outside cornerback recovering from an ACL tear, but they decided they were going to double down on that because they picked Garrett Williams from Syracuse. So they selected a press man corner last year, Kyrie Elam out of Florida. And then they do the exact opposite and picks a player who is best when the back isn't to the quarterback. They passed on two linebackers to do it. Dorian Williams from Tulane and DeMarvian Overshone from Texas. They passed on Wanya Morris, who's a tackle from Oklahoma, and wide receiver Jaden Reed from Michigan State. Anthony Johnson Jr. is a pick I actually really like. He is a player who could absolutely provide immediate depth behind Poyer and Hyde, and there's some potential developmental starter aspect to him. Kobe Turner, 
is an undersized defensive tackle who will remind fans of the undelivered potential that Ed Oliver has promised and doesn't seem to jibe with the potential size decrease coming up at linebacker, if indeed that's what's going to happen in 2023. He also creates a numbers issue. When you draft two interior defensive linemen, the Bills typically only carry four on the active roster. Now they selected two in the draft. You're going to have to cut a couple players who are reasonable. So now you've added numbers as a factor. So we started with need. We started with best. We added numbers, path to playing time, and schematic fit. Corey Trice I like as a pick. Feels like a a throwback to the Legion of Boom Seattle Seahawks defensive backfield. Size, length, but doesn't quite have the tackling aggression that Sean McDermott typically wants to see in his cornerbacks, which is one of the reasons why I was surprised when they picked Kyrie Elam, because that was one of the knocks on Kyrie Elam coming out of Florida. Overall, this draft collects a lot of talent, but it lacks cohesion and a plan. Unlike many drafts, Every single pick has starter traits. None of them are a clear, okay, this guy profiles as a backup, a special teams player. None of them profile as that. But they don't necessarily fit with where the Bills are now in regards to scheme, nor where they're going with succession needs. In addition, multiple positions that are perceived as big needs, linebacker, wide receiver, offensive line, they weren't addressed at all. So that's where... Picking the best player available got us. Now, the only thing we're going to do with this next mock draft is take the top unmet need on the Draft Network need list. And this is what we get. First round pick, Osiris Torrance, guard, Florida. Second round pick, Tank Dell, wide receiver, Houston. Third round pick, Kobe Turner, Defensive interior lineman, Wake Forest. Fourth round pick, Ivan Pace Jr., linebacker, Cincinnati. Fifth round pick, Viliami Fahoku, edge rusher, San Jose State. Sixth round pick, Evan Hull, running back, Northwestern. The needs were this in order. Interior offensive line, wide receiver, interior defensive line, linebacker, edge, running back. Tight end, offensive tackle. Those were the needs. Obviously, we didn't get to tight end and offensive tackle because the Bills don't have eight picks in the draft, so you only got the top six. But every other need was addressed in the order they were placed. In the first round, the Bills pick a guard who, while is a good player, doesn't seem to fit the archetype that the team currently targets under offensive line coach Aaron Cromer. In the second round, they took a chance on a fairly extreme size outlier at wide receiver. Now, they ended up with Kobe Turner in this mock the same way that they did in the first mock, but a full two rounds earlier than he was selected prior, which means we are now adding another factor. Opportunity cost. What are the talents that we are leaving on the board because we are drafting the need? So we started with just need and best. That's it, right? We added need, 
best numbers, path to playing time, schematic fit, opportunity cost. The Bills had players like A.T. Perry, wide receiver, Wake Forest. Jordan Battle, Alabama safety. Jaden Reed, wide receiver, Michigan State. Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver, Ole Miss. Henry Tuotuo from Alabama, linebacker. They were all on the board, higher ranked at pick 91. But because interior defensive line was a higher need, they took a player when we just outlined a scenario where that player is available 78 picks later. Now, they filled a need at linebacker on paper with the next selection with Ivan Pace Jr. But Pace represents the second extreme size outlier that's picked in this draft. If he's going to succeed at the next level, he'll need to be incredibly protected by the defensive line. Because you got to hold up blockers. You can't let them get to Ivan Pace. But the Bills very frequently ask their middle linebacker to cover more than one gap so that the defensive line is free to attack singular gaps. As mentioned above and potentially outlined again with the Torrance pick, schematic fit remains a factor. And even if it looks like you filled a positional need on paper, you may not have filled it in actuality because the players you chose might not fit what you're going to ask them to do. Viliami Fahoku is an edge player who shockingly ended up actually fitting a Bills archetype. Much like A.J. Epinesa and Gregory Rousseau before him, Fahoku is a player that some teams might have pegged as a 3-4 end because he's 6'4", 276, and has 33-inch arms. The Bills could ask him to slim down, a la A.J. Epinesa, but they've been down this road before and the redundancy in traits seems a little odd. This pick makes the most sense predictively, and like all of the other picks this time around, it fills a need. Evan Hull is probably an RB3 slash 4. Special teams potential, but he would fight to be active on a weekly basis as the clear RB4. Because the last RB4 the Buffalo Bills had was Taiwan Jones, and he managed to be active every week because he was a gunner. But Trent Sherfield is probably a gunner for the Bills this time around, which means there's questions as to whether or not Hull would not only make the roster, but even if he did, how he would be active at all. But, you know, it said running back was a need, so they did it. So take a gander at both those examples. You will likely be of the opinion that the second mock draft is the ideal one, and I would agree with that. The idea that the team takes the best player available has always been nonsensical. It's always garbage. If they did, more drafts would include quarterbacks inexplicably taken high, much like the McKee pick. We outlined multiple other factors that are either being ignored or minimized through our usage of the best player available method. Schematic fit, path to playing time, numbers. All of those are hurting the efficiency of the expenditure. If Tanner McKee ends up being a good player, His ability to actually impact the team and provide surplus value during a rookie contract, which is one of the goals of drafting a player, is greatly diminished because Josh Allen's on the roster. If you draft too many bodies at one position, you're now forced to cut a good player while a lesser player remains on your team in a different position. Or you have to trade the excess player for diminished value. Either way, you run the risk of improving other teams around the league. 
You might pick a player who, while talented, doesn't do the things you need them to do well enough to be able to make an impact within the structure of the offense or defense. The same structure that was built to accentuate the players who are already on the roster. Which leads to muddy and disjointed schemes. But even with the second mock draft, where all the positional needs were filled, except for two, because you didn't have enough pick, we still ran into schematic fit issues in addition to the biggest issue with drafting for need. Opportunity cost. The Bills drafting Kobe Turner two full rounds before they may have needed to greatly impacted the amount of overall talent they added to the team in the second mock draft. You can see this reflected in the overall PFF grades. The first one got an A. The second one got a C plus because the system just wants to know how much talent you got. And they got less talent the second time around. The mock draft simulator recognizes the total talent addition and awards the first draft a higher grade due to it. The truth is that very few members of Bill's Mafia that I surveyed with these mock draft results were pleased with either one of them. But again, we knew that would be the case. Earlier, I said that I wasn't intending to draw a conclusion that most have already drawn. I'm trying to outline two diametrically opposed philosophies in a practical and visual manner that will help us uncover the factors that each extreme is missing. It's intended to strengthen the idea that drafting isn't as simple as a bumper sticker slogan can make it by putting to paper that those bumper sticker slogans don't always lead to good decision making. Most people already knew that the extremes would result in suboptimal mocks, and it did. We know that balance must take into account the other factors that we have uncovered through this exercise. Schematic fit, path to playing time, numbers, opportunity cost, and a bunch of other things you can't measure, like cultural fit, personality type. Do they jibe with the coaches? So now we have at minimum six individual factors at play when deciding who to pick with any particular pick in the NFL draft. What we've established is that the reductive statements like, well, just take the best player available, or we can't draft a wide receiver in the first because we have bigger needs, will always fail to hold water. Drafting has been, and will remain, a complicated marriage of many competing priorities in a limited resource environment. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. 
Real Traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. So you knew already when we started doing this that it was going to be a long pod because I did 20 minutes and then the break when it's usually 12 minutes and then the break and then another 12 to 14 minutes. Just settle in. We might be here a while. You knew when the article that I was doing the pod based off of was 2,177 words that the pod that was supposed to be associated with it was probably going to be long. I usually don't run this long, but you know what? It's draft season. What the heck, right? Let's do it. And there's nobody I want rather have this conversation with than the host of Locked on Bills, the author of Buffalo's Run and Go Bills, the host of the Locked on NFL Scouting Podcast, Mr. Joe Marino. How you doing, Joe? Bruce, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Always fun talking football with you, but especially Bills and draft. And look, we get to talk about the entire league here. So this is an awesome opportunity. Glad to be here with you. So what Joe and I are going to do is we are going to do an entire first round mock with the entire league. And we're doing it specifically because we just finished talking about all the factors that go into a pick. It's not just about need. It's not just about best. It's about other factors. It's about lots of other factors. And so the key here is going to be the pick, but also why the pick was made. And so as you can see these examples for all of the teams, it's going to help put the bills by themselves in perspective. I specifically aligned this so that Mr. Marino would be handling the odd numbered picks and I would be handling the even numbered picks because I want him to make the pick at 27 for the Buffalo Bills because it's only fair. I mean, he's the guest, you know, you got to make sure you roll out the red carpet. Make sure that they get to make the pick for the Buffalo Bills. Mr. Marino, are you ready? I am. You're making sure that I'm the one that gets yelled at if if everyone doesn't like the pick. So I see what you did there, Bruce. I'll I'll take it, though. I'm using you as my lightning rod of hate because, you know what? I think I've gotten quite enough recently about the Jack Campbell discussion and about the B. John Robinson discussion. I'm pretty much just done with it. So I'm just like, you know what? I'll let Joe get yelled at for a brief minute. But you're not going to get yelled at right now. Unless any of your fellow Carolina compatriots mm. do not like the pick that you're about to make for the Carolina Panthers at number one overall. Tell you what, the city of Charlotte is a town divided on CJ Stroud versus Bryce Young. That debate is a pretty big deal here in the area. But um, I think predictively, 
they're going to go with Bryce Young, the quarterback out of Alabama. And the reason I think this is going to be their selection is I feel like he is going to mesh so well with Frank Reich. And I think that Frank Reich is going to really value those leadership traits, the intangibles. I think they're like-minded individuals. And there's a dynamic component of Bryce Young that I think the organization collectively will really, really like. And so while it may not be the pick I would make, I think the Panthers are really lasering in on Bryce Young to be that top player off the board. One of the things I talked about before the break was meshing with coaches. And Bryce Young has that face of the franchise vibe to him. And when you're making a pick at number one overall, one of the discussions you have is, okay, what's going to make this guy succeed where other people with any of these traits, other people with any of these flaws, why did they fail, but this one will succeed? And Benjamin Solak from The Ringer has made a discussion about Bryce Young before, and he said, you know, I'll let I'll let somebody else figure out whether or not that size is going to hold up in the NFL. But if you were looking at that size outlier, which of course is the big question with Bryce Young, and you think, okay, why do I trust this outlier to be the guy? It's the intangibles. It's Bryce Young's face of the franchise intangibles. It's a meaningful factor. And it becomes a meaningful factor much more so when you're picking a quarterback. The intangible stuff. You trade up number one, you get him. I'm here at number two for the Houston Texans. And I'm not going to overthink this too much. I'm going to take C.J. Stroud. I think that there's a possibility that the Texans could go differently. In fact, I, I made a, a super weird comment to you not too long ago. And I said, you know what? Is there a weird world where the Texans would prefer Will Levis here at number two? It's just, I couldn't quite shake it that there was a strange Texans vibe coming off. I don't know if it's the mayonnaise thing. It might be the mayonnaise thing in the coffee. Like if anyone was going to do that, you know, a Texan would do it. Mm. But I think more so than anything else, the Houston Texans need to realize that there's a very reasonable chance that they're drafting high next year. I don't think anyone expects them to be really, really good, but they already missed out on their opportunity to get the number one pick because of the Lovey Smith situation and how he just kind of refused to play by the script at the end of the 2022 season. And so I think that they've realized that even when the team is bad, there's still no guarantee that you're going to get the number one pick next year. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, we'll just wait on Caleb Williams. Well, sure, if you have a ton of ammunition to go get Caleb Williams next year. And who's saying that the number one team isn't going to just stay there? I mean, you got lucky this year if you're the Panthers because the number one pick in the draft didn't want to stay there and pick a quarterback. But there are certain franchises where if they get to number one, they're not moving out if you offer them all the gold in the entire world. They're saying, no, thank you. We earned this, quote unquote, earned it by how bad we were. And we're going to stick and we're going to take them. When it comes to CJ Stroud, I think the people who think that CJ Stroud could be Joe Burrow or think he could be Dak Prescott, I think that stabilizing ball placement, accurate quarterback, the high floor play is exactly what Houston needs right now. I think that they've been through enough changeover with the head coaching position that the last thing they need is to inject more variance into this franchise. And so I think they're going to look at CJ Stroud and they're going to think, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Maybe he doesn't have the ceiling that Anthony Richardson has. And he certainly doesn't spin it the way that Will Levis does. I made a, a Jay Cutler, Will Levis comp not too long ago, because that's, that's the kind of spinning we're talking about there. But And maybe the intangibles don't 
jump off the page to you like they do with Bryce Young. But man, I think I need floor as a Houston Texans franchise because I don't, you know, if I'm the general manager of the Houston Texans, I mean, how much longer do I get to keep churning through head coaches until I get some sort of stabilizing force in here? It's one of the main reasons that I went with CJ Stroud. I do think that there's a, a question as to whether or not he's a, a lower ceiling player. I mean, I don't think players who are getting comp to Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott should be considered to be low ceiling players, but I think there could be a perception there. And I'm going with CJ Stroud at number two. Especially like that with their offensive coordinator being, being Bobby Slowick, who's a Kyle Shanahan disciple. And like you mentioned, they're kind of a low floor player or, or a high floor player, I guess, with CJ Stroud. Going into that style of offense, I think it's a really good marriage. So I, I would love that for Houston. If I were Carolina, I'd pick C.J. Stroud at one. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals here at number three. And Bruce, if you're Arizona, you've got to be thinking about trading out of this pick. And the reasons why are, well, you're the Arizona Cardinals, and I think you've got potentially the second worst roster in the entire NFL. And this is year one of GM Monty Ossenfort. It's year one of their new head coach, right? Jonathan Gannon coming over. Kyler Murray's going to miss a huge part of the season. It feels like it's a team in transition, and the best way that they can transition and get out of their current cycle is to stockpile assets, and they have a golden opportunity here owning this number three pick with quarterbacks that teams are willing to trade up for. I feel like they've got to be really looking hard at a partner for as exciting as it would be to add Will Anderson to this roster, Will Anderson barely scratches the surface for the problems this Arizona Cardinals has collectively. I think they got to be looking to move out. I think you're right. And one of the things I want to ask you about from an appetite standpoint is I want to talk about the Tennessee Titans here. Yes. At 11. I think that the fact that there's a connection there with the new GM in Tennessee and the Arizona Cardinals, I think that there's a, a natural connection to make business moves there. But I do wonder a little bit about the Titans. I wonder if, I wonder if there's competing priorities for the Titans right now, because on one hand you think to yourself, you know, the Titans might not be very good next year. They might be within shouting distance to be able to package some picks up and get a meaningful quarterback next year, but you're within shouting distance this year yep. right now. And you've got a coach in Mike Vrabel who I don't know if Mike Vrabel believes in rebuilding, like just as a, as a theoretical concept, I just don't believe in doing it. And I think to myself, okay, are the Titans willing to move up this year for the third best quarterback rather than, I can also see them going the opposite direction. I can see them moving down this year and packaging them all up and moving up next year, but you control both teams in this case. So tell me what you want to do as far as the appetite for the Titans, because if not, I control the Colts at four. And I mean, if you want me to throw you a three or something to move up one spot, just to block somebody, you can do it and then talk about moving down again at from four. What do you want to do? Well, if I'm Arizona, I really want to get out of this spot. And you mentioned the Titans, Mike Vrabel, and not really wanting to rebuild. I'll, I'll go a step further with Mike Vrabel. I think he's, a good enough coach that you're never going to be a real seller dweller to the point where you're just in striking distance to sit there and draft a quarterback. I think that he's a coach that's going to get you six, seven wins every single year, just because he's your coach. And that makes it difficult to be bad enough to just earn that really high pick. And they're in striking distance right now. 
And their new GM, Rand Carthon, he was part of the Rams front office when they moved up for Jared Goff. He was part of the 49ers front office when they moved up for Trey Lance. I mean, this is in his DNA. And so I just feel like this is likely to be the path that both teams go down. You can really, like from a process perspective, you can really justify coming to this conclusion. And so Arizona taking the opportunity to get a package that's pretty similar to the Trey Lance deal. Uh, where they went from, tw- was it 12 to three? And yeah. they gave up three number ones and a third round pick to get there. And that's a pretty easy conversation for me to have. If I'm Monty Ossonfort with the Arizona Cardinals, you say, hey, we'll take that deal you gave Miami for number three, and this gets it done. So I think three first round picks and a third rounder gets that done just like it did a couple of years ago. So be Tennessee Titans 11 this year a 2024 yep. one, a 2025 one, and 72 this year Yep, in exchange for the third overall pick. Yep, which is exactly what the 49ers gave up to get to three for Trey Lance. So there's historical precedent for the parameters of that deal. The deal now, has been completed. The Titans <laughs> are on the clock at number three overall. And now where this gets challenging is, well, which quarterback, right? Is it Will Levis for, from Kentucky? is an Anthony Richardson from Florida. And I'm going to try to be predictive here. And I'm going to go with Anthony Richardson out of Florida where, I mean, physical traits here are off the charts. This is a guy who is the most athletic quarterback in the history of the NFL scouting combine. Uh, obviously, he's severely underrepped. I mean, doesn't even have 400 career passing attempts. This is not a move Joe Marino would make. Let me make this very clear. Uh, but being predictive as to what I think the NFL is going to do I think that they're going to be really interested in this Anthony Richardson, especially in the AFC. I mean, if you're if you're messing around in the AFC and you're looking at Pat Mahomes and Joe Burrow and, and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, there's a lot of good young quarterbacks in the AFC. You can't be without. And I think this gives Tennessee a real chance to get their guy, especially, you know, with, with Houston here picking a new quarterback and, and the Colts, right, picking number four wanting a quarterback and you know you potentially take their guy I think there's just a number of reasons why this makes sense for Tennessee and predictively why it would be Anthony Richardson having Ryan Tannehill ahead of you helps and having Mike Vrabel as your coach helps because Mike Vrabel gives zero craps about the public pressure to play your rookie quarterback he he does not care so he's not going to be pushed into playing we saw that with Malik Willis last year he's like nah Nah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and then also the second Malik Wilson played, he's like, he doesn't give us the best chance to win right now. I'm going to go get somebody else. And Malik Willis was essentially DOA for the Tennessee Titans because Mike Frabel is just not going to have it. So he's the right type of coach in the right type of situation with the right type of quarterback ahead of you, where you don't have to worry about Richardson getting thrown to the wolves too early because Unless Vrabel thinks he gave him the best chance to win right now, he's not going to do it. So the Colts are on the clock at four. And you know what? I'm taking Will Levis. And I know that for many people, people are going to think that this is a this is an overdraft. Will Levis you know, shouldn't be number four overall. I really don't think the Colts have a choice at this point. Mm-hmm. They have done everything in their power to avoid drafting a rookie quarterback over the last few years. And I think they get one more crack at this before the GM decides that, you know what, we've just talked about 
the Colts GM. We've talked about Chris Ballard being good, but it doesn't really matter unless you get the quarterback. It just doesn't matter. So either you take him, he's good, and you save your job. You don't take him, you lose your job. Or you take him, he's bad, and you lose your job. The only possible path to you keeping your job is taking one and having him be good. Those Both those things have to be true in order for this to happen. So I understand that Will Levis is going to be one of those quarterbacks where they look at the 2022 tape and they go, what is happening? But the Colts can talk themselves into another quarterback who was better their second to last year than they were their last year, and that's Josh Allen. Josh Allen in... 20, goodness gracious, 2017, right? (laughs) That was his last year, 17. Yeah, so 16 was better, talked about as the number one overall pick, lost some talent to the NFL, lost a bunch of talent, and ended up with the next year coming back and not being as good, which is a similar story than what you Mm -hmm. saw in Will Levis. In addition, in the 2021 season, he ran a legitimate NFL offense. You know, Liam Cohen from the Los Angeles Rams, was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky. And I think that you can talk yourself into Will Levis being a Josh Allen type player. Now, we, you and I have talked about this before, Joe. This is going to be the death knell for a lot of teams. Oh, well, he's Josh Allen. I mean, anytime you take anybody who's toolsy, you're going to go, oh, well, it's Josh Allen. I and mean, we've already seen it across the entire NFL fan bases. The Titans fans will say the same thing about Anthony Richardson at three. They'll say, oh, yeah, Josh Allen. But I think, when you look at the factors that go into Will Levis, one of the other factors that we just don't talk about is the fact of the matter is it's not just a need from a roster standpoint. It's a need because you got to keep your job. And the vast majority of situations in the NFL is people trying to keep their job. And I don't think, I really don't think there's any way that Chris Ballard can walk out there. And I know Chris Ballard is a very principled guy and he's not going to do it unless he believes it's in the best interest of the franchise. But I cannot see an avenue where he can walk out there and face the media and the fan base after pick number four and not having to take a quarterback. Joe, tell me I'm crazy. No, I, I don't think you're crazy. If I were controlling the Colts, I would have done the exact same thing. And I think the most compelling thing that you said was step one for Chris Ballard to keep his job. The only step is draft a quarterback, right? And, and so he's got to do it. Um, and I know Will Levis didn't have the final season everyone had hoped for, but like you mentioned, the talent that he lost, the the scheme change uh, really contributed to some uneven play last year, but he's got all the stuff. He's built like an action figure, really dynamic runner, all the arm talent in the world. And look, I mean, Indy just hired Shane Steichen to be their head coach. I feel good about him receiving a player like Will Levis and, and maximizing him, especially when you consider what happened with Jalen Hurts. Not that those are similar players, but, uh, second round pick a guy that you know not everybody was in love with for sure turned him into a guy that took the Eagles to the Super Bowl and was phenomenal in that game so uh, I like him going to the Colts it gives them a real chance to have their guy so you're here at five now yes Seattle Seahawks what do you want to do Seattle I think they're in a position here with Will Anderson being on the board that they just have to take him. And obviously I think that they have significant needs on their defensive line, despite some of the investments they made this off season. But if there's anything that they're missing, it is truly that speed off the edge, that dynamic guy that can really 
collapse the width of the pocket. They've got some compression style guys. They got some interior rushers, but they don't have a true speed threat off the edge like a Will Anderson. And and I feel like he's going to be the first non quarterback drafted. And right here's a great landing spot for him in Seattle. One of the things I find hilarious about the Will Anderson dialogue is the, well, he didn't have as good of a year in 2022 as he did in 2021. Well, of course he didn't. <laughs> I mean, 2021 was insane. Like yeah. you're, you're penalizing a guy for a good year because it wasn't one of the best years we've seen ever mm-hmm. from anybody. I mean, Will Anderson played out of his ever living mind in 2021. And then in 2022, he's just, you know, really good. And we're all like, oh, regression, Joe. <laughs> regression <laughs> just right i feel like i'm taking crazy pills so i have started to see rumors joe of tyree wilson going ahead of will anderson like a reasonable amount of rumors and i just don't know what to think about that is is this is this really an aiden hutchinson discussion again is that what it is because trayvon walker going ahead of aiden hutchinson is that tyree wilson going ahead of will anderson is that what that is Yeah, I think that would be that reincarnated, but I think fortunately for Will Anderson, Trent Baalke's not the owner of one of these high picks where he's going to lean into the length over everything and disregard the considerably more refined, better football player. So I'm here with Detroit at six. And Jalen Carter staring me in the face right now. And I think to myself, what would Dan Campbell do? That's where I'm in Dan Campbell's head right now. Now, earlier today, because we're recording this on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time on the 11th of April. Earlier today, the Detroit Lions sent previous top five pick Jeff Okuda to the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know if that changes their need for corner because I think that they had a need at corner anyway. And Devin Witherspoon is like, like... I haven't had to work on cornerbacks this year as much as I did last year. And that's a shame because I absolutely love Witherspoon. I love him with every fiber of my being. Joe, you and I have talked about this before. I love physical corners. I love physical nail-eating corners. And Devin Witherspoon is that kind of player. I think that I'm going back and forth here between Jalen Carter and Witherspoon. And... When it comes to Dan Campbell, I just feel like he's always going to value alignment more. It's just the way that he's wired. And I think that as long as the football character of Jalen Carter comes around, I'm taking him at number six overall for Detroit. And I'm being, I'm being darn grateful for the opportunity because earlier this offseason, if the Bears don't trade out, he was looked at as maybe the number one pick in the draft. So I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and take this. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that this is a a top five caliber player who probably wouldn't be here at any other draft if there weren't a unprecedented run on quarterbacks. I mean, you've never had four quarterbacks go in the first four picks ever until this draft. So we're going to take advantage of that. We're going to let Jalen Carter stop sliding at number six to Detroit. It was funny as I had already in my own personal notes here, as I navigate through this, I had pulled Devin Witherspoon <laughs> off of my available list because I figured you were going to take him and you went with Jalen Carter. And I, I totally understand it. Just too good of a talent. And for them, I think this is a, a type of player that they need on their interior. Um, Levi on Wuzuriki, a player that Brad Holmes drafted pretty high a couple of years ago, really has not been able to stay healthy. And so they're looking for that guy 
next to Aleem McNeil. And my goodness, Jalen Carter can really add to this front with some with another special player. I mean, that's a dream for Detroit. I'm up now with the Las Vegas Raiders here at number seven. And there's two things on my mind here. Offensive tackle, which I think is a huge need for them, and cornerback, which I think is a huge need for them. And they have their choice, right? They're the number one offensive tackle is available. The number one corner is available. What do they do here? Obviously, you're playing in a division that has Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, and so you're thinking a lot about having corners. But if you're going to give Jimmy G a chance, if you're going to maximize Josh Jacobs in his franchise tag window, I feel like the best thing you can do for that is going to be getting more offensive line help. And the offensive lineman I'm going to go with here is Paris Johnson out of Ohio State, who got a chance to play left tackle this year for the Buckeyes, and I thought he was phenomenal. I mean, he's got crazy length, and he measured with like 36-inch arms. A tremendous athlete, very natural understanding of angles. I, I love the tenacity that he showed this year where he was able to play in a more comfortable spot for him as opposed to guard, and you got to see a little bit more of that mean streak that everybody loves in an offensive lineman, but I just think he's got unbelievable physical tools and the fact that he's played on the right side is going to help him because I think he's going to be the right tackle with what they already have in Colton Miller. But this offensive line needs so much help. And I settled on the offensive line over the corner because I think it's about that offense and it's about that quarterback and it's about that running back and give them, giving them a chance, right? Josh McDaniels, offensive minded coach. We've seen you know his, his past, right? There's been a lot of offensive line investments, I think that continues here. Obviously, the GM there being uh, Ziegler, who's another Patriots guy. So I think I think it's going to be the offensive lineman if this were the scenario. I know that the Raiders are a very popular pick to trade up to number three. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I would not be shocked at all if Hendon Hooker or Tanner McKee ended up being a Las Vegas Raider, like at all. I would not be shocked at all if there was a day two quarterback who ended up being the pick for the Raiders. And let's just go, let's just... Let's just see how he goes behind Jimmy G, right? Let's just buy it a year. Let's take a look at it. We feel like we have a stopgap in place. And if we're really that bad, then that's not going to be a prohibitive quarterback. We talk a lot about um, the possibility of next year's quarterback class. But if you take a quarterback in the top five, if you take a quarterback in the top 10, uh, Justin Fields, for example, at 11, right? There is a prohibitive nature to that pick. Because there's plenty of people who aren't yet sold on Justin Fields, but the Bears are sold enough that they traded down at a number one. But if you take a quarterback at 27 or in the second round or in the third round, there's nothing stopping you from then turning around and taking a quarterback the next year high. We just saw it with the Tennessee Titans. They took Malik Willis and he went from, yeah, okay, maybe he's the quarterback of the future to now we're going to trade up and get a guy next year. So, I think that I can picture the Vegas Raiders taking a non-prohibitive quarterback this year, a handed hooker, a Tanner McKee. Uh, I can see something like that happening this year for the Raiders, especially if there's not a quarterback who falls to them at seven. So I'm here on the board for the Atlanta Falcons at pick number eight. And depending on how you feel about Desmond Ritter, you might be have been arguing about them trading up, but once again, I just Arthur Smith manufactures enough offense to be reasonably competitive out of nothing. 
And so if I'm the Atlanta Falcons, do I feel like Jeff Akuda takes care of my need at corner? My gosh, I feel like I feel like the Atlanta Falcons have been chasing pass rush for as long as I've been alive, Joe. I feel like they've been constantly chasing after that player, and I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to give them all the tools in all the world. They're taking Tyree Wilson, edge rusher out of Texas Tech. This is a meaningful mixture of need and talent. We've talked about Tyree Wilson potentially being a player who was drafted above Will Anderson. I think there's a chance that the Falcons look at this and go, I mean, Trayvon Walker was the number one overall pick list last year. We're getting a player who, you know, has those same kind of tools and we're getting them at pick number eight. And we feel like we can develop them. And we've taken swings on other pass rushers. They haven't worked out in the past. We're going to try and close this door. And we're just going to punt the quarterback issue for next year. And we feel good that we can rehab Jeff Akuda. And so we're taking a pass rusher. Bruce, the Atlanta Falcons have 39 sacks over the last two seasons combined, which is dead last in the NFL, which I'm sure you could figure that out. But what's even crazier is that it's 23 less than the second lowest team over that span, which is the Las Vegas Raiders. The Falcons need edge rush in the worst possible way. And uh, hopefully for them, at least Tyree Wilson uh, can get that done for them. Uh, I'm up here with the Chicago Bears at number nine. And I'll tell you what, Chicago might want to think about trading back again, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah. I, I think with the way that this draft class is and the fact that there's really no quarterback that I think somebody would trade up for at this point, I think they might have to stay there and pick. Um, it's, I would maybe somebody would move up for a wide receiver. I don't know. Um, but I still think it's about this offensive line for the Bears, right? I still think that's a something that gives me a level of concern. Um, while I thought it, their run blocking was pretty solid last year, I still think their pass pro needs needs some work. And I think, man, there's two guys that I really like. Okay, I got to go predictive here. I think the NFL is going to value Peter Skaronsky pretty high here, and for the Chicago Bears, not only is he a local player playing at Northwestern, but I think there's positional flexibility there. Some people may see him as a tackle. I see him as a guard. But regardless, he's going to allow them to get their best five on the field. And that's really important for them as they move forward with Justin Fields and you know, obviously made some investments around him already. But I still think there's another piece on the offensive line. This gives them a chance to add some versatility with a pretty polished guy in Peter Skaronsky. Just take a really good player and figure the rest of it later, right? Uh, I have a question for you about Skaronsky, and I want to ask you about how you feel about Skaronsky relative to the way you feel about Rayshon Slater, because I see the the discussion similarly, but I don't know if they're similar players. I think people are just saying arm length and just going with that. Well, you know, Rayshon Slater and all this stuff like that, but how do you feel about Skoronsky relative to the way you felt about the discussion surrounding Rayshon Slater a couple years ago? Yeah, I think Rayshon Slater just has a lot better gravitational pull. I think he does a better job of taking the air out of reps than I see from Skoronsky. And as a tackle playing on an island, I think that ability to do that at a higher clip in frame and stay square at a higher clip and really the way that he's able to set and stay square. It's just at a higher clip than, than Peter Skaronsky, who 
I think will be a better guard potentially. And I like his range a ton and I like his tenacity more than I did Rashawn Slater. And I just think the way that those guys play Slater's a better fit to play tackle. Scronzi's a better fit to play guard. Although they both lack length. Um, and obviously seeing a year of all pro play from Slater in the NFL allows you to really lean into that. But I just think it's about gravitational pull and taking the air out of reps that I don't see what's Gronsky to the level that I did with Slater. I'm here at 10 for the Philadelphia Eagles, and they've just got to be absolutely thrilled that their pick of corner is sitting here on the board. One of the craziest things about the Super Bowl run of the Philadelphia Eagles is that they were one snap away from seeing the player who's now taken the spot on this his roster is Greedy Williams, who was a previously uh, a Cleveland Brown. But it was one snap from Zach McPherson last year <laughs> for the, the Eagles. I mean, there's zero corner depth. And they're thrilled that they were able to bring back Bradbury and Slay. Because for a second there, it looked like they weren't going to bring back either of them. But that's still not quite where it needs to be. I think Howie Roseman has proven that he wants to invest first-round picks in meaningful positions. I think that you can make an argument that the number one corner off your board is a meaningful position. I'm taking Devin Witherspoon here, and I'm absolutely livid that a team that was just in the Super Bowl gets to add one of my favorite players in the draft. Good pick. Good pick. Um, I got the Arizona Cardinals here. Now at number 11, after they really set themselves up well with a bunch of first-round picks in future years for trading out of number three. I've already said it on this podcast. I think the Cardinals have one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Where I think it might be clearly the worst is at cornerback. All right, I mean, we're talking Marco Wilson, Antonio Hamilton as your starting corners right now. We can't go to war with those guys. I'm going with Christian Gonzalez, the corner out of Oregon, who gives them all the size and length you could want. But the ball production this past year was phenomenal. And obviously, I think he's got schematic versatility. Maybe you want to use him a lot in zone, but I think he could play some man reps and play in the face of guys. There's a physicality that I really like here. And I, I would love to have given them a trench player but I don't feel like the trench players that I could give them measure up to what they would get in Christian Gonzalez, where I'm not sure that they have a number two corner on the roster. And this gives them a big starting point to reshape that position group. Yeah. Well, you look at the Arizona, Arizona Cardinals team and you say to yourself, okay, is there a player I could give them that wouldn't improve that defense? And probably not because of how lacking in talent that defense is. But you look at players like, Lucas Van Ness, you look at Kalijah Cansey. I don't think Kalijah Cansey's a fit in the scheme that they're probably going to run. Um, but Lucas Van Ness, you think to yourself, okay, would I rather have him? Would I rather have Christian Gonzalez? I, Christian Gonzalez, depending on who you talk to, is the number one corner in this draft, mm -hmm. depending on how you feel about Devin Witterspoon. Nobody thinks Lucas Van Ness is a top three defensive lineman. So to me, it's a matter of this is a all the needs end up being equal pick. So we're just going to take the player we think is closer to being elite and has a higher probability of being elite at the next level. So I'm here at 12 and I'm going to take predictively a player that I'm going to be devastated to click the button because I was kind of hoping that maybe they would fall within 
shouting distance to the Buffalo Bills, but predictively, I can't bring myself to do it. I have to compartmentalize. I'm taking Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver, Ohio State. Now, I understand the C.J. Stroud to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like, I understand that part, too. And I think that there's going to be, after you've seen some successful pairings, you've seen Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith, and you've seen Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I think that's going to be kind of a popular little pairing thing moving forward. But in addition to that, they just need talent at the wide receiver position, just straight across the board. You know, the John Mechie situation, you can't count on him coming back and being a meaningful contributor. You hope that he will be, and you hope that he's a player who can live up to a day two investment. But you look across the board at Houston, you go, okay, how are we going to even know if CJ Stroud ends up being the kind of player who can succeed in that Shanahan style offense, unless we get him a player who can win over the middle of the field. I mean, that's a hallmark mm-hmm. of Shanahan style offenses is you have players who can win over the middle and Jackson Smith and Jigba can do that. He runs routes with pace. He runs with nuance. And right now it's, Robert Woods, Noah Brown, Nico Collins, Amari Rogers, John Mechie. You, you need some players there. So you're fortunate that that player was there. The pairing is nice, but really this is just about getting the number one receiver in the draft to pair with your quarterback to help you begin to isolate the variable. Ideally, you'd like to get a, a veteran in here, and you got that in Robert Woods, but you got to get some talent. Love that. I uh, think a lot about uh, Bobby Slowick, Kyle Shanahan disciple. Like you mentioned, that style of offense, middle of the field. My comp for Jackson Smith and Jigba is like Robert Woods. And we've seen that success already in that type of system. And I think that's exactly how that could play out. I got the Jets here at number 13. And Bruce, I'm all kinds of concerned about offensive tackle for the Jets. Uh, I personally don't feel comfortable counting on anything from uh, Mikai Becton. Uh, Dwayne Brown is just old. Uh, and Max Mitchell, uh, not a player I was high on coming out last year, coming off of an injury. We got to go with an offensive tackle here. And Broderick Jones from Georgia just makes so much sense to me. Um, range, he's got a ton of range, really, really athletic, physical guy, um, good length, checks all the boxes in terms of size. Tenacity is there. I think he's Got plug and play potential at tackle and in really the makings of a fixture there for a long time. He's my favorite offensive lineman in this class. And uh, for a Jets team that appears like they're going to have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, I think making sure that he's protected to maximize his ability to function in that offense is going to be really important. So Broderick Jones was my pick here at 13 for the Jets. I changed my mind. I don't want to pick the evens anymore because that means I have to pick at 14 (laughs) for the New England Patriots. So I think that wide receiver and offensive line are a place that you saw the Patriots go. I think that Lucas Van Ness is a popular pick here. I don't don't know if it fits stylistically as much as people think it fits stylistically for the Patriots. I've seen some Dalton Kincaids in here for the Patriots. I think a lot of it just depends on how they feel about the wide receivers that are currently on their roster. I think that when you look at the investments that they've made that just haven't panned out, which has been well established, right? It's been well established how much the New England Patriots have struggled with wide receivers. They signed Juju Smith-Schuster. How do they feel about the development of Tyquan Thornton? How do they feel about Kendrick Bourne, who I, I think is a better player 
I actually like Kendrick Moore, and I think he's a better player than he's had the opportunity to show. How do you feel about Juju, Parker, Thornton, Bourne as your top four? I know Lynn Bowden's there, but we're going to go ahead and ignore that, even though he helped me win a, a fantasy championship <laughs> a couple years ago. But when you look at their offensive line and you go, okay, Trent Brown, last year's first-round pick, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Wenyu, Riley Reef, how do you feel? I mean, do you feel like Riley Reef can just totally hold that down? And then you look at the defensive line and you say, okay, you know, we feel good about what we got from Christian Barmore. I think that he's really come on. Um, I think that Matthew Judon is a good player. Josh Uche really came on last year mm -hmm. in a big way. So you think, okay, I, I feel good about pass rush. I think this is a wide receiver or an offensive lineman. And I think that you can make an argument that Zay Flowers is a really good fit here with Juju. But do you think that Tyquan Thornton is going to be diet Zay Flowers? Like he's got, you know, he's got a little bit more length. And if you're concerned about the length of Zay Flowers, I, I just go, I go all sorts of ways with this pick. I'm going to go with Darnell Wright, the Tennessee from the tackle from Tennessee. I think that when you look at the things that the Patriots value, I think experience mm -hmm. is a big part of them. Patriots have a tendency to pick experienced players. And when you have four years of experience against top-level competition and the spot that you feel like on this offensive line that could be really improved is the right tackles position, you wouldn't have to ask Darnell Wright to go back to left tackle. You wouldn't have to ask him to do any of that stuff. I think that Wright is a technician, which I think is going to be heavily valued by a team like the New England Patriots. Ultimately, I went back and forth and back and forth. I decided on Darnell Wright. I think that when you have a chance to get an experienced player against top competition at a position of need, you do it. I think that's a very logical selection. In fact, I don't I don't know that if there's a world where the Patriots were on the clock and Darnell Wright was available that they wouldn't pick him. It just makes too much sense based on their preferences and what the type of player Darnell Wright is, and obviously a huge hole at right tackle. Riley Reef doesn't move the needle for me at all. Couldn't start for the Bears last year. You know, I don't, I don't think he's got much of a chance uh, for the Patriots. I've got the Packers here at number 15, Bruce, and I think this is a really good opportunity for us to layer together some of your talking points here about the, the, the reasons why a team would make the, a decision that they would. Um, and when you think about the Packers and first-round picks, you think about defense, and and that's pretty much what they've always done. But you always say to yourself, man, they can use some weapons. They can use a little help on the offensive line, but they just don't ever seem to invest there. I think the biggest hole on this team, maybe not the most important hole, but the biggest hole is that tight end where their starter right now is Josiah DeGuara. Tyler Davis is the backup. I mean, and you're talking about a really good crop of tight ends. And so it just makes a lot of sense, especially Jordan Love, uh, potentially your starting quarterback this year. And you got to find out what you have. Um, and so supporting him the best you can makes a lot of sense. But Green Bay always picks on defense. And so this is where it gets challenging. Maybe this is the time where they go against their trends. And I'm really just looking at this selection and thinking predictively, but also it's got to be about Jordan Love and maximizing his ability to produce this year. And I just feel like that tight end piece is absolutely missing from this offense. So give me Dalton Kincaid out of Utah for Green Bay who I think has an unmatched receiving skill set in this class. It's a good tight end class, but Kincaid is a step above all of them 
with the way that he runs routes, his hands, he doesn't drop anything. The ball skills are phenomenal, uh, very versatile. And Green Bay, I think, has wanted a player like this. That's why they picked Josiah DeGuara in the third round. But this is like the A++ version of that with the versatility. And uh, Kincaid, only one year of high school football, went to San Diego to start his career, transfers over to Utah, is extremely productive for Utah. And I love how Utah deploys their tight ends because it's kind of like what NFL teams do. And I think that's going to help just uh, Dalton Kincaid be able to come in and, and, and help this offense because of how he's been prepared at the college level coming from Utah. So it's a little bit of a against the norms of what Green Bay does, but the hole is so big and it's got to be about Jordan Love. I was really glad that you brought that up because this is one of those situations where the need is so extreme that it almost boxes out a ton of other things. Like even if you had Kalijah Cansey ranked meaningfully above, even if you had Lucas Van Ness ranked meaningfully above the need at tight end is so extreme. And then you combine that with the need to surround our quarterback. Cause we need to find out about Jordan love fast. This is not a scenario where, you know what? We just drafted Jordan love, you know, we'll give him a year or two to figure out. No, you, you need to make a call on Jordan love. Like, yesterday <laughs> so it, it's a matter of not just a positional need but we've also established a timeline need for the Packers when it comes to influencing their picks this year I'm up at number 16 with the Washington Commanders who are gonna roll with Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett at quarterback next year and I like the weapons that they have around them. I don't love the offensive line in front of them. And we know that offensive linemen consistently get pushed up. Like we know this is a thing. People draft offensive line and quarterbacks higher than they otherwise would. So when I look at offensive line, I'm thinking, okay, who is it that I've got available to me? Right. I got Anton Harrison from Oklahoma. If I really feel good about that, I'm really mad. If I'm the commanders that Broderick Jones and Darnell, Wright mm. Just went. I'm not I'm not thrilled about it. I I want to reach a little bit to be honest. I want to reach for an interior offensive lineman and I'm going to do it. I am going to reach for an interior offensive lineman. I'm going to reach and I'm going to take Osiris Torrance. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because I don't think Torrance is a fit for every offense in the NFL. I think he's a fit for that offense. But I don't think he's a fit for every offense. And I think that when you look at a player like Brandon Scherf, who they had, and you think to yourself, okay, we have been looking for a hole to fill here that we lost from Scherf. I think that there's a chance that this is a cross your T's and dot your I's sort of a pick and that the best player on the board might not be the player that they go with. I mean, are you, are you comfortable with Sam Cosme? As the guy at right guard, I, I, I'm not comfortable. I know, and I know, and I know that they draft just drafted, uh, they just signed Andrew Wiley and they might want to tackle. And I thought about Anton Harrison at right tackle here. And predictively I can see that too, but I just feel like they're going to love Torrance. And I don't know that there's going to be a lot of teams otherwise who do. He's gone on a lot of top 30 visits. So I, I do think that he'll be a player who gets drafted in the first round. I think that they reached here a little bit for interior offensive line. 
But I think that when you look at, okay, so let's look at Ron Rivera, okay? And let's look at the type of guards that he ended up picking when he was in Carolina. I think that Torrance fits. And so I'm going with Torrance. I know that this is a little bit of a outside the line sort of pick because I think Harrison is probably more popularly mocked here, but I'm going with Torrance at 16, Joe. Uh, Eric Bienemy gets his Trey Smith, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, <laughs> I, I I can see it. And you think about their left tackle spot with Charles Leno, an aging player, and maybe this gives Sam Cosby an opportunity to really get a chance to develop there and take some of the pressure off of him moving into guard. So I, I, I understand the pick. I'm up with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I feel like this is the easiest selection I've made to this point. Joey Porter's on the board. (laughs) Don't they they have to take him? I mean, would you want to face requirement? Would you want to face Mr. Uh, Joey Porter? If you, (laughs) if you're Pittsburgh and you don't make him the pick, but in all reality, there there is a need here. I know that they brought Patrick Peterson over on a, on a short-term deal. Who's obviously an aging player. Uh, Levi Wallace, uh, somebody they recently signed um, that, you know, got a plenty of playing time, but they're not paying him a huge contract. Um, I think Joey Porter can be uh, a high impact player in this, in this secondary. And certainly a place like Pittsburgh is going to be able to unlock everything that he brings physically to the table. And so uh, there's a lot of reasons for this pick. Um, I maybe would have thought about an offensive lineman, um, a tackle like a Dewan Jones, but I just, I think Joey Porter, there's just, there's too many reasons for it to happen for me to not make that pick right now. I'm on the clock at 18. And one of the factors that we didn't necessarily talk about before the break in a significant depth was complementary pieces. Now, we talked about schematic fit, which is kind of this. But I, I want to give an example here. I'm staring down the barrel of Quentin Johnston here, and I'm thinking about an offense that has Jamison Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Quentin Johnston. And I'm thinking about the complementary skill sets there. I'm thinking about my deep threat in Jamison Williams. I'm thinking about my possession, move the chains guy in Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm thinking about a yak guy in Quentin Johnston who offers a size component, even if he doesn't necessarily always play to that size. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a factor that if I'm building, just take the names out for a second. If I'm just building the archetypes of a wide receiver group, that would be so much fun. Like, I mean, just tons of fun. But I need you to, I need you to tell me where I, I need you to talk me off of it, Joe. I need you to talk me off of taking Quentin Johnson because of how much fun it would be <laughs> to have that as a complimentary skill set. Because I'll tell you where I, I really want to go is I really want to take Deontay Banks. I want to take Deontay Banks because, number one, I, I love Deontay Banks. But also... I didn't take Witherspoon earlier. And if you want a player who, I mean, maybe one of the best man coverage players in this draft in Deontay Banks. Again, I didn't get a chance to really love on the corners this offseason the way I want to because I don't think the Bills are going to be drafting one really high. So a lot of my corners that I studied were day two, day three guys. But I love Deontay Banks. I know the Ravens are going to be a really popular spot for him at 22. But I'm kind of thinking about him here at 18. Joe, what should I do here? Have you thought about Michael Mayer? (laughs) I I have. If they hadn't gotten rid of Hawkinson, I would think about it. Because I look at Mayer and I I see 
a scouting report, a well-rounded scouting report, the way that they had with Hawkinson, who they just got rid of. I mean, the thing coming out with Hawkinson and Noah Fant was, well, Fant's probably going to give you, you know, more straight line speed, more yak ability, you know, more verticality from a tight end position. But man, Hawkinson just does everything. You know, he blocks really well and he's got good hands and all the common threads of those scouting reports show up again in Mayer's scouting report. And so I'm just like, you had a player who was of that archetype. I know they're very different players, but they, they were of that archetype and you got rid of them. Or do you just want to just run it back and just reset it with Mayer? I mean, t- talk to me, talk to me. What, what should I do here? Well, maybe that is the thought process is you weren't going to pay Hawkinson. And so you get something for him, you reset the money, but you still value the position group. Uh, certainly Ben Johnson's one of my favorite offensive minds in the league right now. Uh, but I think, you did a good job when you sorted through this and you, you got the pick at number five and you try to put yourself in the mind of Dan Campbell. And, you know, they like really physical players, guys that want to eat, you know, other people's kneecaps and all that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, we joke about that, but look at the players that they draft. They're always really competitive dudes. And so what I would ask myself if I were making this pick is what's that position of need that stands out to you that has a super competitive physical football player prime for you to pick? I mean, it's, it's Lucas Van Ness, but he's, he's, I don't think it's a position of need overall for the Detroit Lions. I think I'd, I mean, unless you want to reduce him inside, and I don't think you're going to. Uh, and then so, they brought back Kaminsky as well, who did a great job uh, of that for them last year. Uh, I've seen Bijan here a bunch of times, and I, I just, I, I don't, you just gave a bunch of money to David Montgomery. I just don't, right? I just don't see predictively. Like, I may be fun, don't get me wrong, but. I don't, I just, I think that that would be a strange step back for the progress that the Detroit Lions as an organization have made. And, oh, goodness gracious. You know who I want to take every single time now? I just need to find a right fit is Brian Branch. I love Brian. I love Brian Branch. Good player, man. I love Brian Branch. I just love him. You know what? Detroit needs a nickel, right? Give me a second here. Hold on. Let's let's, well, let's they they have Will. They just got CJ Gardner Johnson. They have Will oh, Harris. Okay, never mind. Yeah. CJ Gardner Johnson. Never mind. Hold on. Never mind. I I was gonna. I was about to have so much fun with that. I was pulling <laughs> up the Detroit depth chart. Going. I mean, they need a nickel, don't they? No, not anymore. They got CJ Gardner Johnson on a one year deal. I remember that now. Oh man, I was I was so close to just finding all sorts of fun there, and it just it just didn't happen for me the way I wanted to. Okay. You know what? We just took Jalen Carter. I'd take Breesy here if I hadn't just taken Jalen Carter. Oh, goodness gracious. Penny Sewell's the right tackle. <laughs> Taylor Decker's left. I mean, what am I going to do? I- I'm literally stumped here. I was so prepared, and then I got straight stumped at Detroit. Give me a second. Let's, you know what? I'm taking Deontay Banks. I'm taking Deontay Banks. I think that this is an opportunity for you to say, you know what? We got what we could by trading Akuda, and we passed up on a corner at six. We didn't take Devin Witherspoon at six because there was what we believe to be a top two, top three level player there. We're going to rectify that issue now by taking Deontay Banks. That's what I'm going to do. All right, I'm up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at number 19 here. And 
this is a team in transition, but also a team that has a lot of veteran talent. You know, they were able to bring back Levante David. They have Shaq Barrett. They paid both of their corners. They got Vita Vea, Ryan Jensen, Tristan Wirfs, you know, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. There's still a lot of veteran talent here. And I think they're going to roll with Baker Mayfield at quarterback this year. And, you know, I think Kyle Trask will get a chance to showcase himself. I just don't think he'll beat out Baker Mayfield. But I think this team looks at themselves as still having a chance. And I think they're looking for something to stabilize their operation. And obviously they have a huge, huge hole at left tackle. And I think that they can potentially get a starting caliber tackle with their next pick. But they've tried very, very hard over the last several years to get their running back situation figured out. And I just don't think Jason Light will let B. John Robinson get by him. And so I think this is the type of stabilizing player for this offense that obviously I'm very happy for them. They got a new offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, because Byron Leftwich was a disaster last year. But I think he's going to really help their offense the most of any player that they can add at this point. And they certainly probably look at this NFC South as a wide open race. And having that type of back to lean on predictively is something that I don't think that they'll let pass themselves by. So we're going B. John Robinson here for the Bucks at number 19. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. Um, obviously, one of the things that we don't talk about enough, and we probably should, is a player like this is almost a player that you take the year before you take a quarterback, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird because if you think that there's a chance you take a quarterback next year, that's another feather in the cap for taking Bijan this year because then you can bring a quarterback into a situation where you can get people say a quarterback's best friend is, is a running game. I disagree with that. I think the quarterback's best friend is a, is an offensive line and receivers, but they're, <laughs> they're going to have somebody else to ease the offense into not just throwing it and going, we're going to make it a quarterback centric offense as a rookie because you can say, okay, we have at that point, you're still going to have Chris Godwin. We don't know if Mike Evans is still going to be there at that point, but you're still going to have Chris Godwin. Maybe you still feel good about Russell Gage. And we have B. John Robinson in the backfield. You know, Tristan Worse, maybe at that point, he's become the left tackle. But you think to yourself, okay, you're injecting a quarterback into a situation where you have a running back you feel good about in the backfield. I think that's a factor we don't talk enough about is taking the things now based on what could potentially support a quarterback that you talk about next year. So we talk about trading down a lot. We say, okay, I want to trade down this year. So I have Amio to trade up and get a quarterback next year. We talk about that stuff in regards to preparation, but we don't talk about, well, let's draft a lineman now and then we can get our quarterback or let's draft a running back now and we can go get a quarterback. Let's go draft a receiver now so we can go get our quarterback next year. And I don't think that the succession planning across positions is something we really talk about the way we probably should at least consider as a factor. Seattle's at 20 and higher in the first round. I took Will Anderson. No, sorry. You took Will Anderson for Seattle and said, just flat out. You just, you just can't, just can't pass on him at five. And I'm thinking about the Seattle Seahawks and I'm thinking about doubling down. I'm thinking about taking interior defensive lineman. I'm thinking about Kalijah Kansi here. And I, I, I've always liked Jaron Reed as a player, but you know, Puna Ford is gone and you probably need somebody. I mean, you, you signed Draymond Jones and you feel good about it, 
but just just going to be three or four down linemen every time. And I think, okay, Pete Carroll is not ashamed of non-traditional body structures, right? This is a guy who, you know, had Puna Ford on his team, right? All five foot 11 of Puna Ford. He's the player. He's the, the, the team who drafted DK Metcalf when people were worried that he turned like the Titanic and was oversized for a wide receiver. And people were like, oh, no, I had significant questions about his injury history coming out. And I think to myself, okay, this is a non-traditional player. Kalijah Kansi, the, the comparisons to Aaron Donald, thankfully, have not shown up. Right? I, I'm really glad that we as a community have gotten away from the idea that when you have an undersized defensive tackle, he's going to be Aaron Donald. I think that really hurt the Ed Oliver pick for the Buffalo Bills. I don't think anyone should ever be compared to Aaron Donald. And I think that the natural tendency there is because Kansas comes from Pittsburgh that they're going to do that. So I'm thinking about Kalijah Kansi here. I really like it. But I also I also want to get an offensive lineman here. And the, the Seahawks drafted two tackles last year and just hit it out of the park, right, with Cross and Lucas. Mm-hmm. But... Phil Haynes, Evan Brown as your center and right guard and get into your offensive lineman here. I already reached for one. I mean, you know, what's, what's, what's another one, right? It's Seattle but too. So they'll, they'll do anything. They, they, they will. And you know, there's a couple things that there's a couple scenarios where you look at what Seattle's picked and you go, well, they weren't even, I mean, the Jordan Brooks pick just blew me out of the water. And I was like, I mean, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I can, I think I can see what you're doing. You know what I really want to take here? I want to take John Michael Schmitz here. Come on, talk, 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 talk to me, Joe. Tell, tell me I'm crazy because I'm going to take John Michael Schmitz if we don't do something. I've I've mocked uh, John Michael Schmitz to Seattle a ton. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense for them. It's a huge need, in my opinion. You mentioned Evan Brown penciled in as a potential starter right now. Phil Haynes, that's extremely upgradable. He can play center. He can play guard. Um, I don't think they'll be concerned about his age. And obviously, it's a huge need, and I'm sure they love what they have in Ken Walker, um, Geno Smith. They brought back. How do you maximize those players? I think you you do address the interior offensive line. I wish there was better value, um, but I, I I certainly understand the selection. I, I think this is 100% a a on brand pick for the Seahawks, and I 100% believe it's reaching for need. Like I I think that there's multiple players here that are higher upside players than John Michael Schmitz. I think that you look at players like Miles Murphy and Anton Harrison, Nolan Smith, Brian Branch, Kalijah Kansi. I think all these players are probably better value, but I don't think they fill a need. And I think that Seattle has proven that they're just willing to go, well, we like that guy the best at the position that we feel like we need, or we're going to need next year, like they did with Jordan Brooks. So we're just going to go ahead and take him and to heck with the rest of you. So, (laughs) You're on the clock. Pick 21, Chargers. I've had a lot of time to think about this Chargers pick, and I think I've talked myself into three different things. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to decide on something, as uh, people behind the scenes will not see that I think Bruce is trying to uh, to angle me a certain direction. <laughs> and I'm I am <laughs> I'm going to do that. Uh, so <laughs> so I thought about defensive tackle just because I, I think the Chargers have the in, the middle of their defense has just been poor for a long time. and. Teams can run the ball all over the Chargers, but we can figure that out later. I thought about a safety. I thought this would be a good spot. 
for Brian Branch, a player to go alongside Derwin James. But this has got to be about Justin Herbert, right? And rounding out the weapons, I think they have a lot of big-bodied guys, uh, possession-style players, but they don't have yards-after-catch guys. They don't have field stretchers. And it feels like there's a lot of momentum for Zay Flowers out of Boston College as a potential first-rounder. And I think he's the the type of skill set that they're missing uh, that can really add to this offense and, and make it more like we anticipate it being under Kellen Moore, right, with more vertical elements to it. And I think that they need a speed player to help their spacing. I think Zay Flowers predictably handles that with this pick. So we're going Zay Flowers out of Boston College to the Chargers. If you don't pay attention to contractual situations, you might not understand why wide receivers are constantly being mocked to the Chargers here. But Keenan Allen is is – I mean, I would be shocked if Keenan Allen was a Charger in 2024. Right. I mean, I'd just be just floored. And and I I love Mike Williams, right? But you you can't live on the Mike Williams jump ball by itself. Like right. it's, like it's it's a great piece. And quite frankly, he he is a case study for how a trait that seems like it's just not gonna translate just consistently ends up translating. I think that he's the Josh Allen of wide receivers, people are going to look at a player like that and go, oh, look, that works. And like, yeah, well, it works for Mike Williams, right? But I don't I don't think it works for a lot of players who are contested catch guys. He makes consistently the most ridiculous catches I've ever seen. Just over and over and over and over again. Every time you think, well, this is going to be the time he stops doing that. And it just doesn't happen. So if you want someone who's not just going to fit with your current situation with the Chargers, but is going to fit in the post-Keenan Allen world, Zay Flowers makes makes a ton of sense at 21. So I'm here on the clock at 22 for the Baltimore Ravens. Previously, a couple days ago, this was a frequently a wide receiver pick. And then Odell Beckham happened. You and I have not had the opportunity to discuss it, but I will say that Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman seem like the right type of receivers for Lamar Jackson. You think about a lot of the in-breaking routes mm-hmm. that Odell Beckham consistently got snubbed on in Cleveland because Baker Mayfield never made it to the backside dig. And you think to yourself, okay, that fits with where Lamar likes to throw the ball and where he's good throwing the ball. And they've kind of pivoted now. All the previous mocks had, you know, wide receiver and stuff like this. And now all of a sudden you see them taking corners. And I'm going to take Emmanuel Forbes here for the Ravens. I I really like Emmanuel Forbes. I really like him a lot. I don't think that there's a lot of scenarios where you can take a corner in the back half of round one who has, in my opinion, the within his realm of possibilities to be the best corner in the draft. Like, if it came out four years from now that Emmanuel Forbes was the best corner in this draft, it wouldn't shock me like it's within his range of possibilities in my opinion I think he fits what the Ravens have wanted to do in the post Martindale world on a defensive side of the ball and I understand that there are going to be people who are concerned about the frame like that's a discussion you hear with Emmanuel Forbes frequently but on the field he doesn't look markedly different than last year's defensive rookie of the year Sauce Gardner, right? Who also had kind of a a wiry frame. So I'm not opposed to it by any means. Um, I think that 
the addition of Odell allows you to kind of kick that can down the road because you might think that Rashad Bateman's a really good player, but you know, you drafted him on potentially he's been hurt. So I think that I think Forbes is a pick here that I like. I think that we mentioned it before. I think Deontay Banks is a player that they would have really much very enjoyed for him to be just right down the road, mm-hmm. right? University of Maryland to be here at 22. But I don't think that makes Forbes a reach here. What do you think, Joe? Well, of everything about Emmanuel Forbes outside of 166 pounds, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the tape's really good and the ball skills, man, he's really physical. He's an alpha on the field. I love the way he plays. You just wish he was like 20 pounds more. now i want to ask you something real quick about that because one of the things we've talked about a lot as a draft community is getting somebody in an nfl conditioning program getting them a weight training program how much do you think that factors in to a team like the ravens saying you know we could we could take a player like we could take players like zay flowers right and we, we could put 10 pounds of muscle on him right or we could take a player like Jordan Addison, and we could put seven or nine pounds of muscle on him. We could take a player like Emmanuel Forbes and put 10 pounds of muscle on him. How arrogant do you think a team like the Baltimore Ravens or the NFL in general would be about not just their coaching? Because we talk about the arrogance of coaching a lot, right? I can fix him. I can fix him. I can fix him, right? We don't talk about it from a nutritional standpoint. Like I can get his body right. Do you think that same type of thing applies there? Well, you're talking about the Baltimore Ravens who drafted a 166-pound wide receiver in Hollywood Brown in the first round. So if there's anybody that's going to do it, it's probably them. But I don't know. I probably wouldn't do it. Um, But I I can understand why you think Baltimore would and why you made the selection. But, yeah, I mean, that is just – that is so lean. so lean. So he's 20 pounds. He added 20 pounds. He'd still be a small corner. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, not that he has, he has height and length, so that that's working for him, but 166, I, I don't, I don't, that's just not a number I see very often for corners. It's an outlier. It's crazy. He is, he is just as much of an outlier on corner than Tank Dell is a wide receiver. Yeah. They're like, he, he's smaller than Tank Dell. Right. Because Tank he's, he's, he's taller, right? but he's the same weight. <laughs> it's insane. I, I feel more comfortable about it with corner. But I'll level with you. It's it's one of those scenarios where I just I just want to ignore it. I want to ignore it because of how much <laughs> I enjoyed watching his tape. And yeah. I don't have to worry about it because I can say things like, don't take outliers in the first round. I can say that all the way. But I'm the Ravens now. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Someone I'm else the Ravens. Right. Let somebody else deal with it, right? Um, so, okay. So you're up for the Vikings at 23. All right, Minnesota Vikings at 23. I think they'd love to pick a corner here, but I just I don't see the value at the position. But I do see a lot of value at another position of need for them, which is defensive end, edge rusher, Brian Flores taking over this defense. And, you know, they're going to mix up their fronts um, and they're going to do a lot of odd fronts. And I think that puts a little stress on their roster to have the right players to do it because they're coming from uh, an even front look for a long time. And the five tech spot is really important for that defense. And, you know, they've, they've added Dean Lowry, which, you know, we've seen him do that in the NFL, but right now it looks like Harrison Phillips might be playing five tech for them. And I think that's a a major problem. He needs to be on an interior playing on the nose. And I think if they were to get Lucas Van Ness from Iowa, it gives them a guy that I think projects very favorably to the five tech role and, and, and a player that 
you're seeing mocked a lot higher than this. And so I think it's good value for them as well at a premium position of need. And so it uh, makes a lot of sense to me for this to be their selection. They need help on defense. Everybody moved the ball against Minnesota. Even the Patriots last year scored points against Minnesota. Uh, so we know that they need defense and obviously bringing in Brian Flores and, you know, they've made some additions here to the unit, but I, I don't think their work is done. And Van Ness is great value at a, at a big time, important position for them. I'm up next at pick 24 and I've, I've gotten an opportunity to go a little bit off because you want to inject a little bit of chaos yeah. into these mocks, but this is not one of those times. I, I am going to do the chalkiest of all chalk thing for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm going to take Brian branch here. I, you see it all the time, but I don't care. <laughs> I, I just, I just want to have a good time at this point. And I think the Jaguars have a serious need at nickel slash safety there. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, they drafted Cisco a couple years ago, but I, I want to see Darius Williams on one side, Tyson Campbell on the other. And I want to see Brian branch just absolutely causing chaos in the middle. So ironically enough, it's a non chaotic pick that primarily <laughs> revolves around causing chaos in a defensive secondary. I love Brian branch. I think if you're a player um, if you're a team who needs a safety, who can do a lot of stuff in the first round, I think it's Brian Branch or bust, period. Like, I, I don't want to take another safety in the first round this year at all because they they all all of them don't give me the multiplicity that I want right. from a safety. And when I look at the Jaguars' needs, when I look at the value, everything lines up. So uh, it's the, I understand it's chalkiest of chalk, but I've injected a lot of chaos already into this draft by taking Forbes, by taking Banks, by taking John Michael Schmitz. And it's the right amount of chaos so far because eventually you start to get these really homogenous, chalky drafts. But we all know that two or three things are going to happen. It's going to screw up everything in the draft. And I was trying to make sure that I could replicate it as best as I possibly can. Just a, a smidge, just a, a pinch of chaos. But this is not one of those times. I'm taking Brian Branch at 24, Joe. All right, I got the New York Giants here at number 25, and there are some things on this roster that really concern me, uh, one of them being the interior offensive line, but I don't love my options. One of them being corner, also don't love my options. The other area that I'm concerned is wide receiver. And, Bruce, they got some names here, but all these guys are injured all the time. I mean, Isaiah Hodgins, we know, but Paris Campbell, Wadnell Robinson, Jamison Crowder, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, those guys, they have the most injury-prone core of receivers I've ever seen in my life. And so <laughs> let's give them some players here that they can really start to rely on, right? Your best ability is availability. And so I want to go with a wide receiver. The one that makes sense, obviously, we're we're well acquainted with Mr. Brian Dable, their head coach. He likes separation, guys. How about Jordan Addison, the wide receiver out of USC, can play – Inside and outside, we know he's not afraid of smaller receivers, and that's what Jordan Addison is. But yards after catch, uh, route running, it's all there for him. Uh, obviously, they they showed a big-time willingness to invest in smaller receivers with the trade up for Wondell Robinson last year. Um, and I, I just I think this is a, the type of player that really fits the style of offense that Brian Dable wants to run. And I, I felt like it was the most logical direction to go based on the needs and the talent available. I think that there will be a little bit of weeping and gnashing of teeth 
when it comes to Jordan Addison going two picks in front of the Buffalo Bills. But, I mean, Brian Dable saw the impact that a player like Stephon Diggs had on Josh Allen. He saw that. There's no way that he can look at this scenario and go, yeah, I mean, the Daniel Jones we got last year, we can win a Super Bowl with that Daniel Jones. You're going you're gonna to have to throw the ball more with that Daniel, and you're going to have to get him some weapons. And if it's Quentin Johnston or Jordan Addison, and you think of the stylistic, like you mentioned, the stylistic fit for Brian Dable, it's going to be Addison. I'd be shocked if he looked at Quentin Johnston and said, yes, that's the type of guy that I want to see in my offense. That doesn't mean that he's not a fit anywhere. It just doesn't seem to make sense right here. So I'm on the clock for the Dallas Cowboys at pick number 26. Let me just start by saying if B. John Robinson is here, I would take him. I, I, I would 100% take him. And I think that, I think Jerry Jones would take him too. I think that, I don't think with the way that the Dallas Cowboys defended Ezekiel Elliott forever, gave him a big deal, and then defended him again forever, <laughs> and then defended him again when he was clearly the less explosive, less beneficial player to Tony Pollard last year. I don't see them caring at all if they turn around and just say, well, we got a really good, really good time out of Ezekiel Elliott pick. And now we get a chance to take a great running back way later than we took Zeke. We're taking Bijan. So I, I would not shock me at all. But Bijan's not here. You took him for a, a team that I think predictively really could take him in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But there's a couple of things I'm looking at here. I'm looking at the defensive interior. I'm looking at linebacker here. But I don't love my first-round linebackers. I don't. And I really, I'll just, I'll tell you this right now. I thought Drew Sanders would be so much fun here. And I, I thought he'd be so much fun because of the Micah Parsons thing. And you have two players who can play as off-ball linebackers and also rush the passer. And I just thought the entire world wishes they had one of those players. And then the Cowboys are like, screw it. We'll have two of those players. Like, I just, it was a very... It was a very Bruce is just trying to have fun verb because I mean, that's the way the song goes, right? Bruce just wants to have fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah. I really wanted to do it. Just an additional little line of chaos, but, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I love Nolan Smith here, but to Marcus Lawrence, Micah Parsons, you know, they, they re-signed Leighton Van Der Esch as an off ball linebacker. They have Damone Clark. I'm, They traded for Stephon Dilmore. They signed Malik Hooker. Thinking about a tight end, maybe here with Jake Ferguson yeah. as a projected starter. Michael Mayer. You know what? You know, after what happened, after what happened with Dalton Schultz, I started to think to myself, like, do they really want dynamism at all? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, Dak Prescott loves to target tight ends. We know that, but yeah. it clearly doesn't need a dynamic player to do it, right? And right. so, but you know what? Predictively, I don't think I can let Michael Mayer go out of the first round. And I, I think the only other spot for him here is the Bengals at 28. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Michael Mayer. I think that having a well-rounded player is something that they want to have. I think having a reliable player for Dak Prescott is important, but also the lack of concerns that you have about Michael Mayer and potentially not having that dynamism, the Cowboys have already shown they don't care. 
So, yeah, I, I thought about I thought about Breesy there on the defensive interior, but you know what? You talked me into it. I'm I'm going to go Michael Mayer at pick 26, and that means Joe, we have <laughs> arrived. It yeah. is time for the Buffalo Bills at pick 27, and I just want before you even start, I want you to know I want to put this on the table for you. I'm willing to trade up into that spot. Wow. So I, I'm willing to trade up into that spot. I feel strongly that there is going to be a either a Hendon Hooker team or there's going to be a player who a team who loves Quentin Johnston here or Nolan Smith. I can't believe Nolan Smith's here still here first off. I think predictively <laughs> Nolan Smith will be gone. We just didn't find a spot for him. So if there's a if you I just want you to know that if you have a hankering yeah. for trading down, I'm willing to listen. Bruce, the team on my mind when it comes to a trade-up partner with the Bills is the Las Vegas Raiders. And you you talked about this already much earlier in our conversation about how they could be a Hendon Hooker team. Mm. And they've met with all five of these quarterbacks, right? So they're doing their due diligence on quarterbacks. The Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo deal does not preclude them from drafting one. In fact, it suggests to me that they're interested in doing it. The Raiders have 12 picks. 7, 38, 70, 100, 109, 141, 144. The list goes on and on. With them picking at 38, I think they're a very logical trade partner for a team like the Buffalo Bills to come up for Hendon Hooker. And so if you want to go down this route, I'm interested because I think it makes sense. There's also a player that I would pick for the Bills in this spot but there's also other players that I could pick for the Bills. I think it's I think there's some logic here between the Bills and Raiders getting a trade done. So I'll I can stick and pick. I have a name for you that I think makes sense, but I can also do this trade. You know what? Here's what we'll do. Because it's my party and I'll cry if I want to, let's evaluate both aspects. So let's start with stick and pick, okay? Mm -hmm. Tell yeah. me your player, stick and pick, talk to me about the reasoning. And yeah. then we're going to, we're going to timeline this. We're going to break the timeline. If, if we're in the Marvel cinematic universe, we are going to break the timeline into two parts. We're going to stick and pick first, and then we're going to trade down. And we're going to talk about this both ways. All right. So if I were going to stick and pick, and again, this is me trying to do my best to be predictive. If there's anything that we know about Brandon Bean is that he loves the defensive line. Right. And he talks about the importance of it. He's invested there. It's very clear. Right. And, and I look at this defensive tackle situation, and none of these guys, Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips, are signed beyond this year. And especially when we saw the actual parameters of the Jordan Phillips deal, which is very minimal and, and oh. completely incentive based, it doesn't give me the feeling that there's a super strong commitment to him. A player I think the Buffalo Bills are going to like, not just like, but love, is Brian Brzee from Clemson, who is athletic. I mean, he can serve in a penetration-style role. I think he can play some one-tech as well as three-tech. Has been through a lot of adversity um, and a lot of challenges, right, throughout the last couple years with different injuries, the the passing of his younger sister to uh, battle with cancer. I I feel like the Bills are going to love Brzee and is very much in play at 27. 
And so if I were to stick and pick predictively, that would be who I would choose. I, I I'll tell you right now. I, I think that I think you're right. I think they're going to love Brzee. I also think that every team will love Nolan Smith, right? Uh, every team, like like Nolan Smith, is one of those players who he's he's the ultimate tiebreaker, right? Because you, I think teams are going to love his personality. I think they're going to love the energy he brings. I think they're going to love the fact that he just so much of that Georgia off uh, Georgia defense is just do your job, even if it's not necessarily mm-hmm. like the best thing for your projection to the next level. And the energy at which he attacked that. When I look at Brian Brzee, and I think to myself, this is a guy who's got the right makeup. You think about Kyir Elam coming to the combine and bringing his notebook and saying, "Hey, like I'm ready. Let's go." Right? I, I've got I got this notebook, all the stuff. Like I think that's going to appeal to the Buffalo Bills. I also think that there might be a, a strategy change, and I think that Brian Brzee is almost a What's the word I'm looking for? You know the 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 pendulum concept of when you break up with a significant other, you have a tendency to date someone who is the opposite of the player that you just go on. Yeah, the the, the the person you just dated. I know. I see where you're going here. I like it. With Brian Brzee, right? This is a this is a this is a pocket pusher. This is a long pocket pusher, and that's <laughs> very different than you got with Ed Oliver. He's tall, also. I mean, Brian Brzee is, you know, 300 pounds, 6'5", 32 and a half inch arms, right? Big hands, 10 and a quarter inch hands, right? This is not Ed Oliver. Like, this is very different than Ed Oliver. And if you're trying to have that pendulum thing going on, if you go, okay, we, we, we tried that style before. We couldn't really make it work in the defense we wanted to. I can kind of see them swinging back the opposite way, which is ironic because in the first half of this conversation, we had a discussion and Brian Brzee was the best player on the board at 27. Like he was the first pick in the BPA draft. Mm -hmm. And now here we are and he's the BPA who also happens to fill a need. So the stick and pick for Mr. Marino is Brian Brzee. Let's talk a little bit about trading down for now. I want to talk about compensation first. So if I, and the oh, if I'm the Las Vegas Raiders, yep, and I say, okay, I want to make a trade with you, and I want to talk about 38. Yep. I give you 38 and 70. That's that's and they're going to say that's an overpay. I yep. think 38 100 gets 38 100. Yep, from trade value, the math on a trade value chart. 38 is valued at 520 points. 100 is 100 points. So that gets you to 620. The 27th pick in the draft is worth 680. So I was going to say 38 and 70 for 27 and 130. Okay, that's probably more. That, like that's a, doable. Like, like a compression. But that that I want to do that to, to have the discussion about this. If you're trading down, do you want the compression? Do you want 38 and 70 for 27 and 130? Or do you want more picks? So this is a, a, a strategy thing because both times you're trading down and in both times you're probably getting acceptable value. But in one case, you're getting quantity of picks. And in the other case, you're getting quality of picks. Which way do you want to go? 
I like the idea of gaining another top 100 pick, even if it is top 100. Um, even if it is exactly 100. But 70 is just, that's 30 spots higher. Oh. So I feel like I can potentially get like two starters and I still have 59. So I would have 38, 59, 70, 91, and 130. No, I wouldn't have no, 130. No, I gave up 130. Yeah. So I would have 38, 59, 70, 91. Wow, that's fun. I could live with that. Yeah, I'd do it. I'd do 30. I would do 27 and 130 for 38 and 70. I would. Okay. I might, but I might try to like say, hey, can I have, uh, let's see what late pick. A have. seventh in 2024? No, I, would, no, I would like, can I have 204 as well or something like that? Just okay. to get myself a, a somebody that can help fill out my roster. So you want to try and have your kick and eat it too. You want oh, to get yeah, the yeah. quantity and also the compression of the, the trade value. So we're yeah. going to do that. We're going to do 38, 70, and 204 for 27 and 130. And we're going to go ahead and force that. Okay, so let's assume that we did that for a second. Now, the Raiders are on the clock. So we split the timeline now. We took Brian Brzee in one timeline. And now <laughs> the Raiders are on the clock. And they're going to take Hendon Hooker. Or yep. Is that what we're doing? Yes. Yes. Right. We're taking Hendon Hooker there. And now I'm on the clock for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm really disappointed that, like super disappointed, that my tight ends aren't here. But... There's but, a, to me, there's a sprint to the podium moment here for the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's Elijah Cancy, right? Uh, no, <laughs> Not for, I, I really want because I want to take him. I here. can tell you've you've thought you've said his name a bunch of times. The name for me is Dewan Jones to come in and be that right tackle. Yeah. Huge need, right? Lyle Collins right. is going to get cut. Torn ACL saved six million dollars. Jonah Williams has asked for a trade. They would have the biggest offensive tackle yeah. pair in the history of the just NFL. Absolutely massive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just not, it's not as much fun. I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> are we really going to go through the entire first round and not have a spot for Kalijah Cansey? I mean, Nolan, I, I Nolan would, Smith. I oh, would Nolan pick Kalijah Cansey in the first round. I wouldn't do it. He's got sub 31 inch arms. He's got an inch shorter arms than Ed Oliver. And he's 281 pounds on a day where the weigh in was the most important of his life. Oh, fine. Nobody wants draft to have any outliers. fun. You're That's drafting the all these outliers. I didn't expect this from you, Bruce. I'm not going to lie. No, see, I want them as long as I'm not picking for the Bills. I see that. I see That's you're, what it is. You're, you're ready, willing, and able to give these guys to any other team. <laughs> I'm just trying to push all the players that don't fall into the outlier bucket <laughs> down to the Buffalo Bills. I'm doing it. I'm taking DeWan Jones. Fine. I'm doing it. And I really feel, I feel strongly that if Mayer is there, that's a possibility here. But I can get, this is a really good tight end class, guys. Like, the Bengals, this is a great example of don't take your number one need at your number one pick. This is the inverse discussion that we have with the Packers. So with the Packers, it was, it's such a glaring need, we're going to make it work. With the Bengals, it's just as much of a glaring need, unless you unless you feel really strongly about Irv Smith. Unless you're like, oh, he, this is the year that it's going to happen for Irv Smith. But it's just as serious of a need. And I think that, you know, a lot of people didn't have a lot of hope last year for the Bengals kind of rehabbing their tight end image. But, you know, just because you got a player drafted ahead of you, you know, as a top six pick in Atlanta, doesn't mean you can't come in and be a, a reasonable player. And I think that 
the Bengals losing him to Carolina matters a little bit more than people think that maybe it matters because it's nice to have that security blanket for Joe Burrow. And so this is a scenario where, yes, it's the most glaring need, but it also happens to line up with a deep position. So I think this is a great example of the inverse discussion that we had with Green Bay because in both scenarios, it's a glaring need. But in one scenario, we said, we're doing it. It's Dalton Kincaid. And with the other scenario, we said, no, it's a deep tight end class. We can pass. It's two different ways of approaching the same problem. So I think that that matters. So now here you are. We're coming down the home stretch. 29, New Orleans Saints. Joe, what's it going to be? Yeah, I, I'm going back to the edge rusher group here. Uh, they've seen both Marcus Davenport and Trey Hendrickson leave over the last couple of off seasons. Peyton Turner really hasn't turned out to be what they're hoping for. Maybe it happens this year, but I still think the need is pretty significant uh, at edge, especially with Cam Jordan, uh, you know, who was drafted in 2011. Like at some point the wheels are going to fall off there and there's Miles Murphy just sitting here. Who's got all the, the traits you could ever want in the position. I think he deserves to go much higher. He's somewhat overlooked to me in this draft class, but I think the fall stops here in Miles Murphy to New Orleans makes perfect sense to me. I'm up once again for the Super Bowl runner-up, Philadelphia Eagles. And I just Brandon Graham is just he's not going to be there forever. I mean, he just keeps coming back, you know, and and I I was listening to discussions about Brandon Graham leaving, it feels like four years ago. And he's just still there. And at some point, you have to, you know, Howie Roseman is going to invest in premium positions. We've talked about this. He's not going to draft B. John Robinson. He's not going to draft the linebacker. He's going to draft offensive and defensive linemen. And I cannot allow there to be a situation where Nolan Smith is not <laughs> off the board in the first round. I can't do it. I refuse to allow it. Nolan Smith is the pick. I, we've talked about him ad nausea multiple times already. I'm not going to take Elijah Cansey as much. I want to have fun, but I'm going to do Nolan Smith here to the Eagles and Howie Roseman's going to walk out of this going, wow, I didn't think he was going to be there. And I think he just transitions naturally into the idea that Brandon Graham's not going to be there forever and back on a one-year deal. And Nolan Smith waiting in the wings. Eagles love to rotate their pass rushers and bring waves and waves of players at you. The last time they were in the Super Bowl, that was the case. They led the league in sacks last year. And this is the way that they they want to continue to, to keep their fastball. I got the uh, Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs here to close out the first round. And I think their need at tackle is pretty significant. I don't love the options. I'm not a big Anton Harrison guy. I actually like Matthew Bergeron quite a bit, but predictively, I don't know that I've seen much buzz for him to be a first-round guy. I feel like Kansas City would really love to add even more pass rush. And when you're them and you score the points that you do and you got Pat Mahomes, you're going to have teams chasing the scoreboard with you. And I think... Having guys that can really finish and get to the quarterback is huge. And they've kind of tinkered around with some odd front looks. And I think what's been prohibitive of that has been having true stand-up players that they can rush off the edge as a rush linebacker. And Will McDonald out of Iowa State um, can give them that. They 
that could provide them with a real slasher with a guy with some real speed off the edge to go with what they have in what I would call compression style players like a George Karloftis and a Charles Amenehu who they just paid to come on over. And of course, Chris Jones, who's going to do anything I'm convinced of on the football field. Mm-hmm. But this is the type of skill set that gives them the ability to truly be more versatile with their front, which I think they really want to do. And so Nolan Smith wasn't going to get past Kansas City, but I think the pivot, the natural pivot to that style of player becomes Will McDonald for me. So he's the pick here to close out the first round. Okay, so we're not going to go all the way to 38 in our situation where we traded out, but I'd love to hear some of the targets that you would have in mind in mm-hmm. general. Just, just You can speak in generalities at this point when it comes to pick 38 because you know that's a natural extension of this conversation. Of course. The first one was we took Brian Brzee at 27. The second one was we traded down and we let the Raiders come up with Hendred Hooker, but we're targeting some specific players. Who are you looking at in this scenario where we split the timeline and we went down to 38? Well, Brian Brzee's still available, Bruce. So he's everything we just said about him <laughs> makes him continue to be part of the conversation. He gets outside of the first round here, which yeah, based on the injury stuff, I think you can understand it. Torn ACL, uh, shoulder injury that caused him to miss some time, uh, serious uh, battle with strep throat that caused a kidney infection, big weight fluctuation there. You can see it, right? I mean, there's a path for this. I think, you know, his when he's on, he's top 10 caliber, but he hadn't been on enough, right, for Clemson. So I, I get it. Uh, he comes to mind. Another defensive tackle is Mozzie Smith. Um, I think the Bills would pick Brzee over Smith, but Mozzie certainly provides them with a, a long-term answer at the one tech, uh, Daquan Jones in an expiring contract. And Mozzie Smith is just an unreal physical talent. We know that they like to bet on traits and uh, big-time leader within the Michigan program. Uh, the linebackers are there, Jack Campbell out of Iowa. Uh, it's been well-documented, the fit there, the size – uh, how he tested athletically, training with Luke Keekley, uh two-time Iowa defensive MVP, won all the coaches' appreciation awards, big-time uh, accomplishments in the classroom. So he's, you know, seems like a Bills guy through and through. Um, maybe Drew Sanders. I don't know stylistically if he fits as much out of Arkansas, but because of the need at linebacker, uh, he's part of this conversation. Um and so that's that's kind of where I would be thinking at pick 38. Those players are the ones that truly come to mind for me. It feels like the Bills are going to love Mozzie Smith and Jack Campbell. I keep coming back to the two of them. And it's one of the scenarios where you just get a vibe from specific players as in man i just i have a hard time imagining based on what i know about my team that they won't love these players and that's happened before with other players and sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't and i don't know that the tremaine Edmonds saga told us what the buffalo bills think about linebacker as much as way they're going to handle the ending of the tremaine Edmonds saga I think that's going to tell us like the story hasn't yet been written. Like, I don't think we can say, oh, well, the bills think X, Y, and Z about the middle linebacker and the defense. We know that they traded up to get him. We know that they sung his praises. We know that he was a captain. We know that they talked him up constantly. We know they let him walk to Chicago. Now, all of a sudden it's okay. How are they going to replace him? And that's really going to tell us what they think about it. 
I think that's really going to tell us strongly whether or not it was a Tremaine Edmonds thing or whether it was a middle linebacker thing when it comes to the expenditure and the path that that saga took. Mr. Marino, I did not know it was going to go that long. Now, we talked ahead of time that it was going to go long. (laughs) I didn't know it was going to go this long. So I appreciate that. I am so sorry for taking up this much of your time. But real quickly, tell everybody, because there's a new show here, guys. You got to make sure you remember, there's a new Joe Marino show. So tell us where they can find everything that you do and where they can find more of Joe. I appreciate that, Bruce. If I'm going to sink a bunch of time into anything, it's talking NFL draft. And so this was really fun. I was I was glad to do it with you. And uh, I guess two thoughts before I uh, tell everyone about what they can find or they can find my work is you mentioned unwritten. So now Natasha Bedingfield, that song is is mm. going to be in my head for the rest of the day. So I want to thank mm. you for that. But also Keanu Benton, the defensive tackle from Wisconsin is a name that now that we're into the second round was was another one that I probably should have mentioned as I considered uh, the options for the Bills with the trade back as it unfolded here. But uh, if you want to keep up with any of my content, you can follow me on Twitter at the Joe Marino. Have a daily podcast on the Buffalo Bills, Locked On Bills, and a daily podcast that covers team building across the NFL, Locked On NFL Scouting, which is available on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We really focus in on team building, and so all the the dynamics of contracts and roster construction and the draft and skill sets and fits and team tendencies. We cover that every day for you as well. Locked on NFL scouting is the new podcast. Well, maybe you listen to this podcast and you didn't really know what you were getting into because you just kind of expected the same old length from every other podcast that you've ever done that had Bruce on it. Or maybe you looked ahead of time and said, oh my gosh, that's a that's a two-hour podcast. I'm going to go ahead and pass on that bad boy. But either way, I just want to let you know that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more strengthen security posture, and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. 
But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.